Hi, Northwest Hills family, and welcome to Church Online once again. And happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. So if you happen to be watching with your dad right now, um, go ahead and pause the video. I want you to give him a big old air high five, or one I learned recently, a foot five. <laughs> Super funny. Uh, or if he's on your quarantine, give him a big old hug. And just let him know something that you love about him, something you appreciate about him. Uh, so go ahead and pause the video now. Give some love to your dad. Um, so paused. Pause the video. Love your dad. If you're not with your dad, uh, remember to give him a call. Tell him how much you love him and appreciate him. All right. Now that we're back, just a reminder that in-person services start today at 9 and 11. And if you want more details about those services, you can visit northwesthillsnwhills.com and um, read all about those different services and what to expect. Um, our pre-recorded online services will continue until live streaming is up and running, so feel free to continue joining us here for those. You can always stay connected as well uh, by texting NWH Pray the number four to 97000 with any prayer requests you might have. Our pastors and elders uh, love to pray for you. They pray for you regularly and would love to lift up any specific requests that you have. Uh, if you're new or like inf more information, um, go ahead and text hello, the number two, NWH to 97000 as well. And um, you can learn more information. You can get connected with a um, serve team or community group. So that's a great way to do that. Uh, recently, I was a part of the um, women's virtual Bible study on the book of Jude. And I was blessed by Jude's words at the end of his letter. So as we enter into a time of worship, um, I just want these words to kind of wash over you and redirect your heart and your mind um, to worshiping the God and creator of our universe. Um, so let me read those to you now. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let's worship.
unshakable. Hallelujah, you have done great things. See a victory for the 
Good morning, church. Thank you so much for worshiping with us. I am excited to introduce our second intern for the summer. Actually, go ahead and introduce yourself. All right, I'm, my name is Christopher Beltran, and I'm uh, from Plano, Texas. Yeah, Christopher was in our youth group in Texas. I've known the dude for the past five years, and so, of course, we have a lot of stories we could tell on each other, but we will save that for later. Um, Chris, you've actually been here for one week, so you've got to experience some of it. What would you say are some things you're looking forward to experiencing this summer in this internship? I'm really looking forward to be able to uh, do Bible studies, right, and being able to see people serve in this church, like uh, play instruments in the worship team or behind the scenes doing video and audio production. Yeah, Chris is a, he's a expert volunteer. He's been serving for a long time, and I've had the joy to be able to have a front row seat to watch him from believing in Jesus to um, taking next steps, set up and tear down. He's, he's served on all kinds of teams. He's got an excellent attitude. Um, actually, he's a talented dude. He plays violin and keys, but his main instrument is the drums. Um, so look for him this summer on drums because he'll be serving in that way. And Chris, tell him about your career path, what you are planning to do, and how this internship is going to help that. Right. So uh, what I want to do is go to college and learn about sound engineering and acoustics to be able to uh, help a local church with their sound uh, production. Uh, and, yeah, that's what I want to do, yeah. Yeah, so he's getting a lot of experience this summer with that, just like us recording right now. Um, we are excited for these all of these interns. Um, one of the things that's part of our vision of this program is that we would put them around, put young men and women around, men and women of the faith that can help them in their journey. And so we've had meetings with guys in our church about um, calling and about spiritual disciplines and about even how to take care of your physical body. Chris, you had one this week that really stood out to you. Why don't you share about it for a second? Right. So uh, we met with John Evans. And one of the things that stood out was when his uh, sons would turn 13, he would go on, he would he would make them go on adventures, right? Yeah, make them. Like, you have to do this. <laughs> them, right? Yeah, exactly. Write a passage. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Well, they would go on the adventure, right, like hiking or something. Um, but while they would do that, right, he would also incorporate God into what they did. So, I don't know, something, seeing him do that kind of stuff is really cool. It was inspiring for all of us. And right. it actually is part of, it's like what we're doing this summer. This Thursday, we're actually leaving for the Wallawas on a backpacking trip. <laughs> what are you excited about for this summer besides our backpacking trip? Um, I'm excited to... You said you said we're going to go to the ocean. What's it called? You know what it's called? Uh, the coast. Yeah, he, coast. he already knows. Right. Mm-hmm. 
and the well, yeah, I'm not really excited to go to the uh, water. The water, yeah, the cold water for these Texas boys is rough. <laughs> right. And so, as we close this out, um, we're excited to invest in these young men this summer and young men and women in the fall. Um, just a a great thought this morning. It's Father's Day. Um, what better time to recognize fathers, um, whether they've invested in you, uh, whether it's been your actual biological father invested or it's been a spiritual mentor that's poured into your life. Um, we are so thankful for the men in our lives that have invested and loved us. And so this morning we're going to honor them. Check out this video with us. Good morning. Happy Father's Day, Northwest Hills. This is the moment for kids. If you are watching this with your family, I want you to pull a time out. I want you to pause this video and I want you to A, look at your dad and tell him how awesome he is, what you love about your dad, what you like to do with your dad, and then B, ask him, what can I do for you this week that would show you that I love you and then listen very carefully to the sermon, and we'll learn about obedience. So, ask your dad, what can I do to show you my love, and then do it. Take a pause. Happy Father's Day. Love you guys. Good morning, Northwest Hills Community Church Online. Pastor Josh Carstensen here. And I'm very excited because this is our first Sunday that we will be back in person. So obviously a number of you are watching this online, but this morning some of us will be gathering in person, uh, which is super exciting, but it's also kind of weird um, just being honest uh, up front, kind of showing my heart. It feels like it's this exciting, great moment, yet it also feels kind of sad. I mean, I, I'm looking out right now, I'm in our sanctuary, I'm, I'm looking out and um, it feels like we're a church that's dying, but we're trying not to be dead because we have all the we have a, a large space, a very small number of chairs that are spread out all over the place. And so it's just kind of a weird, sad feeling. Um, but that being said, I've said this from the very beginning, I'll say it again, I believe God is doing something unique in this season. And so our, our kind of posture and our goal and our hope through all this is to kind of put our ear to the ground and listen to the Lord and say, God, what do you have for us? So all that being said, um, there's tons of information online that you can find out about our in-person service gatherings. They're limited to 100 people. Um, if you have kids, they'll have to be with you the whole time. But you can go find all the information online. Um, but I do want to share a little bit of our commitment to doing online church still and for the foreseeable future. We realize that most of our audience will not be able to gather with us in person. It's just numerically not possible uh, or wise or safe. And so we will continue to do an online service 
For the next, for, for the next um, few months, it will look very much like this. You'll have kind of me kind of speaking directly at you in this camera. You'll have kind of this background right here. You'll have music kind of the way we've been doing it. But we are working really hard to kind of set everything up here to be able to do a live stream. And that is a huge transition for us. Honestly, we have been spending a lot of time and effort over the last kind of four to six weeks trying to figure out how to do that well, what that looks like. And so as soon as possible, we will be moving to a live stream model where what you'll be watching Sunday morning will be captured from what's happening on stage in the in-person services. Um, you don't have to watch those at uh, 9 or at 11. Those will be available on demand afterwards. But in the foreseeable future, um, you'll continue to see this. But as soon as possible, we will move to that in-person kind of live stream on-demand view from home. Uh, also wanted to give you a heads up, we are currently planning on having four outdoor services this summer. We've got a great facility for it, um, and the first one, our target, is to ha be on July 12th. So just pay attention to some of the communication coming out to us, sharing info about what that will look like. So all that to say, welcome to Northwest Hills Community Church. If you've got a Bible, let's go Exodus chapter 3. We're going to pick it up right where we left off. In our study, we've been looking at this big theme of, of God who exists, who brings mankind from a position of slavery through the desert, through this journey to a place of freedom. And we see that theme paralleled uh, both in the story of Exodus, where God is working primarily through one major people group. We call them Hebrews, we call them Jews, we call them Israel. Um, and they, in this story, are enslaved by Egypt. They've been enslaved for about 400 years, and they are God's chosen people, his people that through the, to the world, he is going to show himself through this people group. But they're enslaved, and so God's going to bring them on this journey out of slavery through the desert to a place of ultimate freedom. And that story parallels you and I. Um, you and I are in this place of, of slavery, um, but it's not obviously a similar slavery that we are subjugated by an oppressing force over us in terms of uh, mankind, but we, every human being, is subject to slavery to sin. And this is the reality that you and I oftentimes make things that are not God, God to be in our life. And so this is things that we create with our own hands. Like this is things like our family, our friends, our finances, our future, our fun, all five F words that I just threw out there. So um, all those things are things that we can create in our minds and, and we can say that those are going to be the gods that we serve. And ultimately, if we serve those things as gods, they fail us miserably because they were never, create, they were never intended to be God. And not only that, but it's an assault to the God who exists. When we worship things that are not him, it's an absolute assault to God. Imagine if you had a kid uh, and you were making a, a wonderful mit, a meal for him. And you've got this kid, and he's awesome meal, and you put all this time and preparation into it. And then at the dinner table, the kid says, man, I'm so thankful that we have this refrigerator that made me dinner. Or I'm so thankful for this stove that made me dinner. Like, as the person creating the meal, that would be highly offensive. And when we worship things that are not God in place of God, God is highly offended. And so here we are, human beings, naturally enslaved to sin, needing true freedom. And true freedom being described in the story of the Exodus and true freedom described in your and I's life is not the ability just to have autonomy, is not the ability just to get the choices that we want whenever we want. True freedom, and the world needs to hear this right now, true freedom is when we know Jesus. 
True freedom is when we dwell with God. That's the language that uh, God uses to Paul in the book of Exodus, and it's the language that we've been using throughout this series. To know God and to dwell with him, to be with him, that is the mark of true freedom. So we pick it up in Exodus. Uh, we've been in chapters 1 and 2 and 3. We've, we're introduced to this man, Moses, kind of the, the main character, the main uh, guy in the story who helps bring people to freedom. But we're introduced to him very early on. He is at the end of this longer 400-year run of slavery. He was born into a time of um, infanticide where all males were supposed to be killed, were supposed to be thrown into the river, the Nile. But his mother, in an act of faith, put her child in a basket, and the Lord provided um, a place for him that he would not be killed. In fact, it was such a place that he was raised by the Pharaoh's daughter. So he was raised in the palace. He was cultured. He was a military leader. He would have been educated at the highest level. So here is Moses, this man um, who for 40 years kind of had this split identity. He was a Hebrew, yet he was raised in the palace. Right? Many people believe that he potentially could have been in line to become the next Pharaoh. But at about age 40, Moses has this moment where he believes, he absolutely believes that God is going to use him, or if he doesn't know God, that he is going to be the deliverer of his people. So he's got this moment where he goes out and he sees his people, and he tries on his own to make this plan where he's going to free his people. And ultimately that doesn't work. Um, ultimately, he runs away. He runs in hiding. He runs um, from Egypt to Saudi Arabia to what was then called Midian. And for 40 years, he lives in obscurity. He lives in what is likely depression, in kind of this weird place where he is absolutely separated from not only his original people group, but the people that he grew up with, all the way out in the middle of nowhere. He goes from being in the palace to being a shepherd. And if you go back to Genesis 46, we talked about this a few weeks ago, we know that the Egyptians thought that shepherds were an abomination. So he, he goes from the height of all culture, of all prominence, of all power, to being what was known in Egypt as an abomination, to being someone who was out with the sheep, kind of in obscurity out in this place called Midian. We have this moment where God uh, meets Moses, at the age of 80. So he's been a shepherd. He's been out in the middle of nowhere for 40 years. And God meets him. And we have this encounter that we talked about last week. What it would look like to meet God. What a spiritual encounter would look like. And there are tons of parallels to you and I today. You know, what does it look like to have a spiritual encounter with the Lord? What does it look like to hear from God? We kind of worked through this whole system that we saw uh, Moses, how he encountered God. And the first thing that we saw that was that Moses was not looking for God. Right? He wasn't on some epic spiritual quest. He wasn't trying to figure out um, how the stars aligned so that God would speak to him. He wasn't trying to read the, the tea leaves. He was literally just watching his sheep and God appears to him. And that's very much how God works. Oftentimes he reveals himself to us when we're not necessarily looking for him. But he reveals himself to Moses. And he reveals himself in a very unique way. Through a bush that's on fire but isn't burning. So as Moses sees this, he would have seen something that would not have been consistent with his normal worldview, right? Because his worldview tells him that when bushes are on fire, they burn, right? And so very often when we have a significant spiritual encounter, it, it is something that is outside of our current worldview. It's not something that's consistent with what we kind of encounter life on an everyday basis as. So Moses sees this, he experiences this, 
And then the text says that he had to go out of his way to investigate. So Moses sees something that's outside of his worldview. He doesn't just think, oh, coincidence, I'm going to keep going. He says, no, this is strange. This is unusual. I need to go check this out. So he goes and checks it out. It's at that moment where God actually, in some sort of audible voice, it seems like here, says, Moses, Moses. Moses doesn't freak out. Moses is in front of this burning bush, and he says to the Lord, here I am. We talked about the importance of that posture when God's trying to get our attention to say, here I am. Right? For you and I, we're, we're in this really unique time season. We're in this season where, obviously, for the last number of months, we've had this COVID-19 pandemic where there's a lot of sickness, where there's um, just a huge disruption in our normal life and culture. And so we're trying to hear from the Lord, God, what do you want us to do? What should our posture be both as individuals, Lord, as a church, as a Christian, as a seeker, maybe even as a non-Christian, you're here watching this, you know, maybe, maybe you're trying to figure out what should I be doing in all this, right? But then more than that, we're in this cultural moment where everyone's talking about race, Right? Everyone's talking about uh, the injustices that are, um, you know, have happened in our culture for so long. And, and what do we do about it? Right? That's the big question. That's the question last week that I said that me as a Caucasian male, I'm trying to sit back and just sit before the Lord and say, God, what do you, what do you want me to do? God, what do, you, what do you want our church to do? And so it's really important to have these moments where we just sit back and we say, God, here I am. What do you want us to do about it? We want to hear from you, right? We don't want to be like Moses who kind of creates this plan and just quickly goes into action to try to save his people because we saw what happened. When it was his plan, he utterly failed. And so as someone who believes in God, who knows God, I want to sit before him and I want to say, God, here I am. What's your plan? And then we see the, the, the beauty and the tragedy of the result of God speaking and Moses's. Uh, response, right? So God speaks, and we saw this last week, and God says, I've heard my people. My people are hurting. My people are in slavery, and I have a place for them. I have a place their own country, their own land. They are not supposed to be in slavery in Egypt any longer. I hear them. I know them. I see them, and I'm going to free them. And Moses is hearing this, and he's going, great. This is so good. And then you get to verse 10, where God says, and Moses, you're going to be the guy to do it. And you get this moment where Moses is going, oh boy, um, I don't know that this is what I signed up for. I, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if I'm up for it. And so today we're going to look at this reaction and response. This reaction that when God does speak, right, when you do take the time, like for you and I, when we're sitting in front of God, whether that's in the word, right, whether that's in silence and solitude, whether that's in a church service, in a gathering, whether that's listening to music, whether that is practicing Sabbath, right, whether that is just in straight prayer, when God does respond and speak to us, how do we respond back to God? Because he always commissions, right? God, God reveals his nature and his person, and then he always says, okay, now here's what I have for you. Here's what I want you to do. And let's see how our posture often is, very much like Moses, and see what we should do with that. So we'll pick it up right here in verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain." 
Right, so instantly you get this moment where Moses is going, well, well who am I? Like, God has this huge plan for him, and Moses is instantly going like, well, who am I? Right, like, I'd like to think if I was in this moment where there's a bush that's burning, that's not being consumed, and I'm hearing this audible voice, and God himself is speaking, and he's saying, I'm going to free my people, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and oh, by the way, I want you to do that. I'd like to think that I'm saying, like, I'm your guy. Like, like I can do this. If you're going to speak to me in this very unique way, I'd like to think that I'm your guy. Right, like, if, if here I am, and, um, and the sky opens up, right? Let's just pretend that this is a world that exists. And, and Thor drops down. I'm saying that because I know Justin loves Thor. He drops down. He's got this long, flowing, wavy, Gary-like hair. And Chris Hemsworth says, Josh, I've got this mission, and I'm going to do this. And would you come with me? Like, I'd like to think that I'm going to say, like, dude, I'm your guy. Like, if I see that, if I experience that, like, I'd, I'd like to think that I'm in. But Moses gives us this example of actually what it might be like to have this experience that is way outside of our worldview, where God says, I'm going to do something and I want you to do it. Moses says, well, who am I? So here's Moses. He's got all these these fears. He's got all these excuses that are coming up here, and we're going to see this. And and he says, who am I? And God says, I'm going to be with you. I'm I'm going to uh, I'm going to show myself to you. And, and the fact of the matter is, like, there will be a future that's ahead of you where you will be worshiping with all these people on this mountain right here. Now, it's a great promise that God gives to Moses, but quite frankly, it's one that requires a huge amount of faith because this is a future promise. So think about Moses. Like, he's having this moment where he's just like, I don't think I'm your guy. And God says, no, you are my guy. And as proof like years from now, you will be here worshiping me in this mountain, or at least in a while from now. Like on the faith scale of like one being the easiest thing to believe and 10 being like, that's really hard to believe. Like this is kind of a 10. Like this is, this is not God like just clearly saying, hey, here's more evidence. This is, this is kind of a stretch of faith. And Moses is like, dude, I, I just don't think I'm your guy. And we see Moses' response. He has kind of three things that we see. First of all, he says, I just don't have all the answers. Um, I'm, I don't feel adequate. I, I don't have the answers. Not only do I not have the answers, but I don't have the authority. Not only do I not have the authority, I just don't have the ability. So we're going to see Moses kind of work through each of these excuses and kind of see his heart as God commissions him to something incredible. So the first thing that we see here is um, Moses kind of saying that I am not your guy. And God says, well, I'm going to be with you. And the first thing that Moses says is, well, who are you? Kind of who are you? I don't have all the answers. I don't even know who you are. So who are you, God? So he's, he's kind of asking this question first off, really to say like, um, if you're supposed to be with me, like I, I really want to know who, who are you? Like if I'm supposed to trust you, show yourself to me, reveal like who this great being is that you are. But it's actually more than that too. It's not just for Moses. And I think this is really, really interesting. I think he really is genuinely afraid of of other people and how they perceive him. Because listen carefully to what he says in verse 13. He says um, in verse 13, if I come to the people of Israel, so this is like if I go to my, my own people, my Hebrew people, and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? All right, so if you look really carefully, you notice like 
he might not primarily be concerned about who God is as much as he's concerned about having the answers to give the people who will challenge him. Right, so because put yourself in Moses' spot. Here he's going to come. He's going to come as an 80-year-old man in obscurity. No one knows who he is. And he's going to say, God wants me to bring our people to group to freedom. And they're going to say, like, who in the world are you and why should we listen to you? Um, what, what am I supposed to do with this? And so Moses has this moment where he's like, God, like, I don't have the answers to give to people. So God, in this moment... He responds, and he responds um, very clearly, and he, he kind of spells out both his name, his nature, his character. But a lot more than just that, he explains in, in real clarity how Moses should respond to the people so that they will believe that he actually does have some of the answers. So listen to verse 14. God says to Moses, he says, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Pezzarites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey, and they will listen to your voice. Right? There's God affirming Moses, like they'll listen to you. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Moses, or God, graciously tells Moses, he says, I know you're afraid you don't have all the answers, but let me give you the answers. Let me tell you how to respond to people when you don't feel like you have all the answers. Right now, this is a beautiful piece where also God does describe his name. And we're going to come back to this later in this study, this idea of who God is, this, this Yahweh, right? This I am who I am and kind of the difference of, of Yahweh and Elohim and Lord here. And we're going, to, we're going to walk about that later, but kind of in the, the text for today, I want to look at the bigger picture. And that's just Moses' fear of, of not knowing the answers. When people ask him, well, who are you? What do I say? And, and God just so gently affirms him, like, I'm going to give you the answers, I'm not going to leave you all alone. And that's what we see here in this text. But that doesn't do it for Moses, right? He's like, okay, well, I I may have some answers, but I just don't know that people are going to believe that I have the authority. It's kind of this moment where, you know, people will say, well, that's nice for you. You can believe that. And you can even have answers for your own worldview. But I don't believe that. And quite frankly, I don't believe that you have any authority. And so you can believe what you want to believe, but I'm going to believe what I want to believe. And so Moses has this next reaction. He's like, not only do I not have the right answers, but I don't have the right authority. And again, God graciously meets him where he is. Let's pick it up in chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered. This is after God says, I'm going to give you all the answers. In verse 1, he says this, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Like, they're not even going to believe my answers. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. Right, we get this um, really interesting moment where, again, like Moses is really afraid of his own people, the people that he's originally from. 
Um, we kind of skip this section at the end of chapter 3, but God reveals to him the conflict that's ahead with Pharaoh. And so God says, like, it's going to be a huge struggle. You're going to go back and forth, and it's going to be painful. But it's interesting, Moses isn't concerned about that. He's still primarily concerned with people's reaction to him. He's not concerned about a future battle. He's not concerned about being rejected. He's not concerned about um, all the things that God describes that's going to happen with Egypt. He's concerned about how people are going to perceive him. And ultimately, here's Moses, and he's like, they're not going to follow me. They're not going to believe me. They're not going to accept me. They're going to reject me. And and God, again, graciously, kind of like a father, pulls Moses in. He's like, hey, I know you don't feel like you have the authority, but let me show you, let me give you my power, and this will be an act that people will see and they will recognize that you actually do have authority. And so God kind of gives him three different signs. The first sign we read about is in verse two. The Lord said to him, what is in your hand? And he said, a staff. And he said to him, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. I would too. But the Lord said to Moses, Put on your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff. This is the key verse right here in verse 5. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Again, this is God saying, like, here's a sign. I'm going to give it to you so that they will believe. He gives them another sign in verse 6. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak and he took it out. Behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. And again, here's the key verse. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. Again, this is God saying, like, I'm going to give you a sign Yeah, if you don't think they'll believe you the first time, they'll definitely believe you this time. And and God graciously again says, well, let me give you a third sign just in case. Verse 9, if they will not believe even those two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it out on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Here's this third sign, right? The first sign um, was this, this act of, of God showing himself to have power over creation, right? Over um, the snake. And we're going to walk through some of this stuff later as we get to the actual 10 plagues um, with Pharaoh and Moses. But just super quickly, we get this act where um, each of them are a, a showing of God being the ultimate one true deity, Right? So in kind of ancient Egypt world, the snake was synonymous with power. Oftentimes the pharaoh had that hooded cobra on his crown. And so this was a very a defiant act where God's saying, hey, I have power even over the things that you held highest in terms of a form of deity. And then we see this act of uh, leprosy. Right In the ancient world, particularly at that time, like depra- leprosy was a death sentence. If you got this, you were absolutely dead. There was no cure. But there was a lot of effort, apparently, in ancient Egypt of people trying to come up with a cure for this. But this is God saying, not only do I have power over the physical nature, I have power over your own bodies, and I have the power to heal. Again, all as a sign to give Moses the authority. And then the last one, uh, an assault on the Nile River. Um, Egypt would not have existed in the way that they did without the source of the Nile. The Nile absolutely was the economic driver of the whole country. 
And the Nile was also seen as the source of many of their deities. Uh, many of their gods had their kind of birthing in the Nile or were, had their source from the Nile. And so God's saying once again, like, I will take everything away from you because I am sovereign, I am supreme. And he's doing this again as a sign to show that Moses has authority, that he's not acting alone, that God is behind him. Man, but listen up. Again, Moses misses the point because he doesn't say, okay, great, God, this is an incredible act. Obviously, like I'm not just having some crazy daydream. Like obviously this is significant. This is real, God. You are going to be with me. But he says, God, not only do I not have the answers, I do not have the authority. He has a third excuse. He says, I just don't have the ability. Let's pick it up here in verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. He's like, I, I'm just not a good communicator. Like some people are really gifted and on the fly they can say things and when they're in front of the Pharaoh, it's just going to make a lot of sense, but I'm just, I'm just not that guy. Which is interesting if you think about the history of Moses, right? Because you would think like in the first 40 years he probably would have been that guy, But 40 years of feeling rejected, 40 years of shame, 40 years of obscurity out in the desert probably brought him to this place where he really wasn't a guy of eloquent speech, where he was spending a lot of time by himself with sheep, right? Not talking on his iPhone. So he probably wasn't a man who felt very competent and confident. But what does God do again? I I still believe in this moment God is not furious yet. I still believe that God's kind of just like, Moses, Moses. We see this in verse 11, it says, Then the Lord said to him, Who's made man's mouth? Who's made a mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? He's kind of like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, I know you don't have the answers. I'm going to give you the answers. I know you don't have the authority. I'm going to give you the authority. I know you don't have the ability. Here, I'm going to give you the ability. I'm God to supply all these things. And here's the big moment in this text. Here's the moment where like, we see Moses' true heart because the reality is like, Moses wasn't really asking for help. He wasn't saying, like, okay, I think I can do this, but I'm going to need some help here. I'm not good in this area. I'm not good in this area. I'm not good in this area. Would you help me? Like, here's where we really see the heart of Moses, and I think oftentimes this reflects the heart of you and I. We see this in verse 13. But he, being Moses, said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Would you, just, would you just send someone else? Right, again, put yourself in this spot. Here's Moses. He's in front of this bush. It's burning. His worldview is just being blown. He's saying, like, who am I? Like, I, I'm not your guy. Like, I can't do this. I don't know what to say when people ask me questions. Even when I have the right thing to say, people aren't going to believe me. And I just, I can't talk very well. And God's just like, I've got you. I've got you. I've got you. And then Moses is just like, you know what? Like, could you just please send someone else? So here's the deal. When we do spend the time, and and it's hard to do, but when we spend the time to put ourselves before the Lord and we say, God, would you speak to me because I need wisdom? And when he speaks to us and when he commissions us, very often we get these feelings of like, oh, wow, I I actually don't know if I can do that. And I don't know if I want to do that. Right? We get these moments where it's like, you know, it's just so much easier to, to just stay in Midian. 
Like, it's so much easier. Can I just stay with my sheep? Like, they're kind of cool. Like, it's, it's easy to just be a shearer, to just go out in the mountains. I get this epic view. Can you just give me Wi-Fi and a cabin in the woods and just the six friends that I love, and I'll be just fine? Can you just give me my grandkids and a pension, and I will be okay? Can you just give me like 40 hours, like I just want to go home and read my book and sit on the porch and God's saying, I've got something so much greater for you. And Moses is saying, oh man, that just sounds like a lot of work. And I just don't feel like I'm your guy. And ultimately, deep down, it's not because Moses is lazy. It's not just even because he's afraid. I think ultimately, deep down, Moses has this moment where he's just going, I just don't think I can. I just, I just, I would rather do something else. I've been burnt out. I've been hurt. I have failed. And I just, I just kind of want to keep living in that. Man, for some of us, if we have taken this moment to sit before the Lord and God does call us to things, like he calls us to some hard things. Right? For all of us, no matter what, like we're forced to be in the season of COVID. God's calling us to do something in this. Right? For some of us, and we're sitting before the Lord right now, we're saying, God, what do you want me to do about all this racial tension? God's asking you to do something. Right? For some of us, God's saying, hey, um, in this season, like, I'm asking you to step up in a new way of leadership. I'm asking you, maybe he's asking you to, to do something radically different with your life. Maybe he's asking you to move or to pursue a different career or to adopt or to, to have and spark a new conversation with a family member or a neighbor. And it's so easy to sit back and be like, yeah. I don't know, I just, could, could you just ask someone else to do that? It's just way easier if someone else would. And we see God's frustration here. We see, he says um, in verse 14, it's very clear, God actually gets really angry at Moses. He says, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart, and you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be your mouth and with his mouth, and you will teach, er, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. And so here this this beautiful picture of God, right? Because here's God both being incredibly patient and kind and angry. But here's the thing. It's also really tragic for Moses. And don't miss this, right? Because God is going to accomplish his purpose, right? So he's saying, Moses, you're my guy. Moses, you're my guy. Moses is like, hey, it's really hard. I don't want to. He's saying, fine, I'm going to use Aaron. But what does Moses miss out on? We're going to see this later on in the book of Exodus in verse, or sorry, in chapter 28. We're going to see that the priesthood is established not through the line of Moses, but through the line of Aaron. This huge system of honor, this, this huge blessing that Moses misses out on. And I believe very likely it's tied to the fact that he was not obedient here and he was scared and he was afraid. And Aaron actually gets the blessing here. So God accomplishes his purposes always. But who misses out when we say, I don't know, Lord, I don't know if I'm up for that task. We do. We miss out. 
I want to close with this one last thought, and it would be easy to kind of stop here, and, and maybe even time-wise it makes sense, but I believe we got to see the bigger, fuller picture of God, because if we stop here, we kind of just see this like gracious, kind, kind of the, the, the analogy we talked about last week is God being fire, and this is like the warm, beautiful, attractive side of God, where, where again, God's going way out of his way to meet Moses, and Moses is just insecure, he's scared, he, he, he doesn't want to be the guy, and God's like, no, you're going to be the guy, I'm going to supply all these things, I'll use Aaron, we'll get this done, and it's this very like grace-filled, merciful God, but that's only part of who God is. At the end of this, we actually see a terrifying part of God. And when you read this story, it feels like it comes out of nowhere. But if you think about it for a few minutes, it, it actually makes a ton of sense. So let's read this. Um, Moses, he talks to his father-in-law. He's like, he gets the blessing. He's heading back to, uh, to Egypt. He's, he's going to meet up with Aaron and listen to this in verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. And we'll talk about that moment in a few weeks. Um, it goes back and forth throughout this whole book about God hardening Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh hardening his own heart. So we'll talk about this. But, but I want to keep reading here. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, and listen carefully. This is God's command for Moses to say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Keep reading, verse 24. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. What? Let's keep reading. This is... Verse 25, then Zipporah, his wife, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. All right, like parents, I will let you describe to your children what that text is all about right there. Uh, happy Father's Day. Have fun with that. But you've got this scene here where God tells Moses, he says, hey, I want you to go to Pharaoh. And I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to say, you need to obey me and you need to let my people go because my people are like my firstborn son. And if you don't obey me, I will kill your firstborn son. Right? So it's all about this act of obedience here. All the while, Moses is on his way in an active act of, of disobedience against God himself. If you go back to Genesis 17, um, verse 14, we read this about the covenant that God originally made with Abraham about this act of circumcision. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So here's Moses. And the text doesn't make it clear. When God visits and, and he stops him on the road and it says in verse um, 21, or sorry, in verse uh, 24, that the Lord sought to put him to death it's not super clear whether that's Moses or his son. I believe that it is his son based on the context. But basically, you've got Moses who's going before Pharaoh, and he's saying, you need to obey God or he's going to kill your son. And God's saying, hold up, Moses. You need to obey me or I'm going to kill your son. Right? See, it can be very easy when we finally have this moment where we stand before the Lord and where we say, here I am. 
and God speaks to us and he commissions us and he calls us to do something and then we've got this call and we've got this charge and we're trying to bring justice to the world, which is a beautiful thing. We're trying to bring truth and grace and very often when we try to do that, we ourselves are not obedient to the very thing that we're calling other people to be obedient towards. And God says, I'm, I'm actually going to kill your son, Moses. So what is God asking you to do? All right, I've been asking me, God, what do you want me to do in this unique season? And God, as I hear you respond, right, as I hear you commission and call me to something, am I going to reap the benefit of the blessing of obedience? Or am I going to be on the other side, the terrifying side of what happens when we do not obey? And we miss out on blessing and we put ourselves in harm's way where God will make all things right. So I want to ask us as a church, um, as we finish up just today, are you being obedient and standing before the Lord right now? I would just continue to put yourself in that spot, whether it's through Bible reading, whether it's through prayer, whether it's through silence and solitude, the disciplines that we're all about, where you're saying, God, here I am. And then when you finally do hear from the Lord, are you being obedient or are you being like Moses who's just going, man, would you just send someone else? I believe this is our moment to stand up and say, God, I have heard you and I will obey. Would you pray with me? Father God, this is a unique moment in history. And it's a beautiful time where we can stop and we can open up your word and we can say, God, what does it look like to hear from you? And what is my natural inclination? My natural inclination is to feel inadequate and insecure. Yet how beautiful it is that it's always these people that you work through. Lord, you very, very rarely work through the person who's instantly like, yep, I'm your girl, I'm your guy, I can do this. God, most often you work through us when we feel like Moses, right? When we feel like, you know what, I, I don't know that I'm your guy, I don't know that I'm your girl, I don't know that I'm good enough. And you say, you know what, I'm going to do it all through you, trust me. So God, I pray that we would respond in an act of obedience as we look to you and as we trust you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.
Death could not hold you. The very tone.